0: and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about Halloween and God's triumphant power over darkness. Let's dive in. Well, it's official. Today is October 31st, Halloween here in America. Now, hands down, this is my most despised holiday. I absolutely detest everything with Halloween. There is just something about the fact that our culture glorifies darkness and evil and just the twisted realities that I just, I just, oh, I don't know what it is. I just cannot stand it. In fact, I was pulling out of my driveway a couple of days ago when my neighbor had put up a couple of ghost skull things on her porch, and I was just kind of like, ugh, I just, oh, I just can't, I just don't like it. And it's not that I'm fearful of the darkness. I know that we as Christians have triumphed. We walk in light. But I hate the celebration of darkness. Anyway, I've been pondering the last couple of days this idea of the fact that Halloween was coming up. And and what do we do with this? Now, the one redeeming factor of Halloween, if I could find one, is that it does become a great day to evangelize. In other words, people are coming to your door. And not only can you pass out candy and treats... You literally share the good news. In fact, a few years ago it was interesting. I was with a group of people and we were praying on Halloween night, and we decided, hey, why don't we take a couple of our kids and go trick or treating? So we grabbed the kids and we went trick or treating. But the idea was not to go get the candy. the The idea was is well, hey, everyone we knock on their door, they're going to likely open the door. So let's use that as an opportunity to just share Jesus Christ. So we let the kids go knock on the door and they get the piece of candy, and then we just begin a conversation. And it was just an opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ amidst the culture that was full of darkness. Now, if you want to read a great article on kind of some of the background of Halloween, Randy Alcorn had actually a great article that was kind of lifted out of one of his books. And if you would like to read that article, you can find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Well, as I was pondering about this podcast, I actually had another idea, and but I recognized the fact that because that this podcast episode fell on Halloween, I said, well, maybe I should just... Focus on that for one episode. So I actually want to give an encouragement for today's episode rather than just talk about Halloween. I have no interest in talking about the the event itself. But I want to talk about the triumph of Jesus Christ in the midst of the pagan twisted culture that we live in. A culture that just celebrates darkness and death and depravity and, and everything that I stand against. Now, if you're finding yourself a little damp and depressed <laughs> over, this, over this holiday, I, here's an encouragement. You know the passage well, but in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, Paul is articulating this triumphant gospel, the triumphant reality of the Christian life. And I just want to read this passage to you. I think it is so powerful, especially in the context of today. So here's what Paul says in Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to jump down to verse 35. He continues, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life neither angels nor principalities nor powers neither things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord paul is saying what can separate us from the triumphant reality of the gospel that we are in christ more than conquerors And you realize that even in a day that celebrates the darkness, even in a day that just trumps this reality of, wow, look look at all the twistedness and the warped reality of of just the evil darkness. You recognize that even that, even the greatest that the world can offer, even the best that the world is going to try to produce today, that cannot separate you. That is not more powerful than the reality of Jesus Christ. Oh, isn't that a phenomenal truth? I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He's talking about the power of God and the fact that the power of God is truly indescribable. Paul says that this power of God was demonstrated in the life of Christ. Verse 20, When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in all ways. I love what Paul is articulating. He says, you recognize that the power of God reached into the very death of Jesus Christ into the physical deadness of Jesus and brought Jesus from physical death and brought him forth into physical life. And if that wasn't good enough, which that alone is phenomenal. But then God took the physically alive Jesus and elevated him and put him in a position at the right hand of the Father, a position of relationship, a position of authority, a position of power, all that's kind of symbolized in the right hand. And then he says that this position is, verse 21, far above all principalities, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now, some scholars argue about what are these principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. And some say that they're the physical earthly realities or the kingdoms or the kings or the the political structures of the world. And that may be correct. Some scholars say, no, 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 we're talking about the heavenly realm stuff. And we're talking about the, the darkness and the corruption and those principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. So it's all the demonic strongholds and demons and all that kind of stuff. And that's probably correct. And the reason I say that is <laughs> I don't think it actually matters because the reality is, is Jesus Christ is far above all of that. Whether it be physical or spiritual, Jesus Christ is seated in a position of authority far above all things. Whether it be earthly in terms of the rulership and the political systems or whether it be the demonic horde, Christ Jesus has a position of authority over all of that everything has to come in subjection under Christ Jesus. And it's important to note that the name of Jesus is over and more important and greater than any other name. So you realize that on a day like today, and it just looks like darkness has control and it looks like just, boy, what are we as Christians going to do to realize there is nothing to fear? There is nothing to worry about. Why? Because the position that Jesus has is far above. And by the way, just as a fun side note, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, you are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father, which means at the same place where all things come under under the, the feet of Jesus, so too, when you are in Christ Jesus, all things have to come beneath your feet. In fact, that actually makes sense in Ephesians 1 verse 22, when Paul says he put all things in subjection under his feet, speaking about Jesus. And made him head over all things for the church, which is his body. So here we are as the church, the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head. He has the control authority position. Which even in that sense, now we understand the literal reality is everything comes under the actual literal feet of Jesus. Everything's in subjection beneath him. But if we are his body, then we are actually his feet. And therefore, while we as Christians remain in Christ Jesus, and we actually have our position in him, all things come beneath our feet. Which means I don't have to tremble at the darkness and the pollution of the world. Why? Because my God is far bigger than all of this junk. And it doesn't matter how twisted the world becomes. It doesn't matter how dark and polluted the world becomes. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And all of this world systems, all the demonic horde has to come under the authority of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is head. He is literally Lord. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords overall. No one else even has a chance of competing against him. He is the ruler. He is the supreme authority. He is God himself. Now, it's interesting if you look at the context of that Ephesians 1 passage about the principalities, powers, mights, and dominions, it's interesting that that Paul is talking to this city called Ephesus. Now, we know actually a little bit about Ephesus because it shows up not only in the book of Revelation when Jesus is addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor, but it also shows up in the missionary journeys of Paul. So we know that in uh, Acts chapter 19, Paul spends between two and three years in Ephesus just preaching and teaching Um, And just showing the wonder and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Now, a powerful story takes place in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Uh, Let me just read this to you. God worked powerful miracles by the hands of Paul. So handkerchiefs or aprons he had touched were brought to the sick and the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists invoked the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we command you to come out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the evil spirit answered, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? (laughs) Which I think is absolutely hilarious. In fact, I remember reading that passage when I was a teenager and my prayer to God was, God, would you make me popular in hell? (laughs) Which sounds maybe a little twisted. But isn't it interesting that here are, these, here are these seven exorcists and they're, you know, casting out this evil spirit. And they say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. And the demon looks at him and goes, well, we know Jesus and we know a Paul, but who are you? In other words, I mean, who on earth are there, you? And I just thought, wouldn't it be neat if, you know, if you had the wanted poster in hell that said most wanted, you know, Nathan Johnson. <laughs> it's not that I actually want to be popular in hell, but wouldn't it be interesting to live such a life in Christ that all hell trembles when you wake up in the morning. That it's just like, oh no, red alert, he's awake. What? We're not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> I, just, I just love that idea. Anyway, Acts 19 verse 16 goes on and says, Then the man in whom the evil spirit was jumped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled from the house naked and wounded. Which would have just been very uh, humbling. But here's the point, verse 17. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now it's interesting. If you go back to verse 10, here's Paul. He's been in Ephesus for a couple of years. And it says that all those who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And says, this idea that here's Ephesus. It's on modern day Turkey. It was the part of the Asia minor of that day. And literally, as Paul was preaching in Ephesus, all of Asia began to hear the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Paul is proclaiming the good news. Well, here it is, verse verse 17, that this just event, all this miraculous working of, of what God is doing through Paul and, and in the midst of this demonic and all this craziness in the midst of the city, that it says that fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, it's important to note that apparently Ephesus had a very large uh, group of people who were involved in sorcery and magic. And we know that because of the next couple of verses, which I'm going to read here in just one second. But think about this. Here's a whole collection of people who've been putting their trust and their faith and what they can pull off through their own sorcery and magic, which we know, especially from the Old Testament, was very wrong and detestable in the eyes of God that here I was trying to produce through my own magic spells and sorcery and my, my incantations and, and my bringing about this you know, involvement with the darkness, trying to seek refuge, help, and trust. And yet here are all these people where fear falls upon them. And it says in verse 18, many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And many, verse 19, who practiced magic, brought their books together and burned them before everyone. They calculated their value, which equated to 50,000 drachmas. So the word of the Lord powerfully grew and spread. So here's this big group of people who had all this sorcery and magic stuff, this, this tying in with the darkness here they were, they were celebrating the darkness, that they were going to the darkness for life and for their future and for their faith and for their trust, that they had an issue in life. What do they do? They went to their magic books. Oh, they had this serious sickness. What do they do? They went to their sorcery and they were partnering with the darkness. And yet the movement of God takes place in their midst. Fear falls upon them and they recognize that these evil spirits, that the magic, the sorcery, that the partnering and the celebration of the darkness actually has no power. So what do they do? Well, they come together and they confess, they tell their deeds, and then it says in verse 19 that they burn all their magic books. And we say, well, what's so significant about that? (laughs) Listen to this. They calculated their value and it was equal to 50,000 drachmas. And you say, that's nice but that makes no sense to me. Well, let me explain this. A drachma uh, is a very very similar kind of a, it's a coin similar to a denarii. And both of them were a day's wage. So if you got a drachma or denarii, it was worth a day's wage. Now, to put it in modern terms, uh, we're told that the average working day in the United States is about 262 days a year. So, you know, if you take off the weekends and the vacation stuff, most full-time employees work about 262 days a year. And the average U.S. income is about $50,000, depending on where you read. Some it's a little bit less, some is a little bit more. And I don't know who's making all this money, but someone out there, the average is, they say, is <laughs> $50,000. Well, when you calculate this out, it's 50,000 days worth of wages. And you calculate that out in terms of what our normal wage is in America. It's interesting that the amount of money that was that was really burnt up in these magic books was approximately $9.5 million. See, this wasn't just a couple magic books that they just kind of threw in the fire and said, that's nice. They literally took, they literally went through their houses and brought out $9.5 million worth of these sorcery, magic, partnering, celebrating the darkness books and literally just burnt them. And if you think about this, it's actually a declaration of their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. They here they are. They're severing their ties to the darkness. They are no longer going to turn to the darkness as their place of trust and their faith and their reliance. See, when they get sick, they're not going to turn to their sorcery and the magic. They're going to turn to God. Hey, in the midst of the hardships and the difficulties, they're not going to turn to the darkness. They're going to turn turn to, toward the light. So it's a neat just severing of this tie between the darkness and a turn toward the light. And again, this wasn't just a little bonfire. This is nine point five million dollars worth of a bonfire this is crazy this is this is just a myth so what does it have to do about today well i look at this story and i am encouraged here's paul in the first century world and it's all just associated with the gods and paganism and darkness and twistedness and i've said this before but it's interesting when you start to parallel first century roman world with 21st century america specifically there is just profound parallels between the two For example, the Roman world in the first century was they were obsessed with sports. Well, it doesn't take very much to look in our look on our news and our newspapers to recognize that we as a culture are obsessed with sports, that the Roman world was all about just the sensuality and everything was just permissible. And and hey, whether it be uh, promiscuity or homosexuality or pornography or whatever that may be. Hey, they were celebrating and just rejoicing in the twisted reality of what God made good. Well, you look at today's world and we're just consumed with homosexuality and perversion and pornography and, and just everything that God made good, we have taken and twisted it and we're celebrating the twistedness. So there's just a whole bunch of parallels between you know, here, here's a here, here's a pagan world worshiping a plethora of gods. And here we are in 21st century America and we are worshiping a plethora of gods. Now, we don't have little statues more often than not. But, hey, we are worshiping the altar of success or business or or work or whatever it may be. And if you want to do a neat study, you can do that parallel between the Roman world first century and today. And there's just a there's a whole bunch of these parallels. So what's encouraging to me is here is Paul in the midst of a city that's full of darkness. Here's Paul in a place that is just celebrating and just cherishing the darkness. That that in the middle of any difficulty and hardship, they continually resort back to the darkness. And yet, Paul remains faithful. He stays consistent and he's continually preaching the word of God. And as God is showing the evidence of this phenomenal reality of the gospel... The people of this place that was celebrating darkness is literally turned upside down. And literally the ties of the darkness are severed. And now they're embracing the light and not the darkness. And Paul in Ephesians says, hey, do you not know? Hey, remember that Jesus, the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings is in a position of authority far above Every principality and power and might and dominion, his name is greater than any other name, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Everything has come come under the feet of Jesus. Jesus has the authority and the power. And if I can encourage you, in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of the celebration of just the junk of this world, Jesus is still in control Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father in a position of control. And no matter the darkness, and no matter the principalities and powers and mights and dominions, whether it be physical or spiritual, they have nothing on Jesus. Jesus is in control. And if God can move in the midst of a city and really turn that city upside down, where really just those who used to celebrate darkness now begin to celebrate and pursue the light, you realize he can do the exact same thing today. That we don't live in a hopeless state. We don't live in a hopeless cause. We don't live in a, oh no, if he could have done that in first century Roman world, he is surely able to do that now because he is faithful. He cannot change. And just as he was a God then, so is he a God now. So instead of just being dreary and drab on this Halloween day, why don't you be praying that the darkness would just be just broken, that people's eyes would be awakened and they would begin to see light. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And isn't it interesting that that is such a great articulation of today's world? And yet, you realize that even though that the world loves darkness, light has come. His name is Jesus. So let us be prayerful and expectant that this world's eyes would be awakened, that they would begin to see the light, and they would commonly sever the ties that they had to the darkness and embrace the realities of the light, Jesus himself, and that whatever ties that they had to the darkness, in this case in our story, the, the, the sorcery magic books, that all of that would be burned for the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And though it's a day of darkness, and even though it's a day of celebrating the the world's system and darkness and pollution and twistedness that the world sees it as, I want today to be a day of rejoicing that God is victorious, that nothing that comes against him can prosper, that no matter how much the earth and hell and the, the, the demonic hordes tries to overpower God, they can't do it. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors. And I've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. So let's celebrate that reality on this day. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a link to that article by Randy Alcorn on Halloween, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 88 for episode number 88. Until next time, Know I'm cheering you on as you build your life around the one who is the light, Jesus Christ.